Good morning. It's good to see everybody and welcome to worship. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. That's where we are. And this morning I want to speak to you about such a great salvation. I want you to bear with me this morning because I know it is a passion, uh, clear back to the days when I was called to seminary in the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. I remembered reading so many books on the master's plan of evangelism and how it is that you're to share the gospel and what are the needs that the people have and how does that fit with anthropology and what's going on with all of society and sociology and how evangelism is to be interwoven and fit within the everyday life. And so they even came out with books titled Lifestyle Evangelism, learning how to live the gospel everywhere you go. This morning is one of those messages, very short, very sweet to the point, where the author of Hebrews, who goes so deep into so many things, takes a pause. And he wants to speak for a moment to these Christians about the importance of the salvation that so many of them are neglecting. I want you to focus on that word for just a moment as we go forward. Chapter 1 was all about, as we learn in the beginning of chapter 2, attention to these wonderful things that we have learned. He's speaking of chapter 1 because that's where we have learned that Christ is the Son but is divine, has an eternal throne, one that will last forever, and the angels don't have that. The whole comparison was to address those people who, again, were putting their spiritual trust into the spiritual realm rather than the Son, Jesus Christ. Here in chapter 2, we realize that not only is he divine, but now the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that he is fully human. He is the mediator between God and man because he is the God-man, and he's the only one that can do that. Angels cannot function as mediators. The comparison that he's been putting together here, and he'll go on as we continue through the book of Hebrews, is that Jesus is superior to all of these. He even uses a word that we can't describe in one word in our English when he talks about this superior salvation that we have. It's actually a blend of words of superiority and excellencies. Such a great salvation is how we summarize it in English. If we could put all the words together of its excellencies and its greatness and all of its worth, well, that's what it would take to explain what is meant by such a great salvation. But here now, he writes to us about heeding this message of the gospel. This morning, let me speak clearly to you, not just as your pastor, but as one who pleads for the mercy of your souls to realize that those who completely neglect the gospel will never escape the punishment. We live in a world today where there is no punishment. We're seeing that even in our social life, in our institutions. Nobody wants to declare what is right and what is wrong. Nobody wants to punish another for fear that the punishment may come back on us. And we want to live by our own standards, and we want to apply the gospel when it fits our lives, but only the sections that fit our lives. And we find ourselves living in a very relativistic world where we seem to have no sense of standard. And without a sense of standard, there's like no sense of truth. And without truth, how will we ever know what's going to happen? If I were to ask you to raise your hand this morning, and I'm not, do you really understand what it takes to go to heaven? 
Or are you really even convinced that there is a heaven? You see, we're living in a world today where the utopian age is now becoming the focus. Actually making the heaven on earth where we can develop relationships and change things and make this earth what God would want it to be back in its original state. Takes out the whole need of a necessary savior, the need for someone else to cleanse you, the need for something that's outside of yourself in order for you to trust in, in order for your life to be made right. When you could just do it yourself by making necessary changes and becoming a better person. Hebrews writes here in chapter 2, and listen, he gives us the warning against neglecting biblical salvation in Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. Chapter 2, the book of Hebrews, beginning in verse 1, just a few verses. Therefore, speaking about everything that just happened in chapter 1 and the greatness of the Son of God, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels, which is a reference to the law given to Moses, we'll go into that, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. A few things. Let's just take this morning. It's a simple message. Let me give you some things that go along with understanding such a great salvation. It begins with there's consequences. Write that down. Such a great salvation exists with consequences. First century Christians were in the danger of drifting away. Now that brings up a theological argument. And folks, theology and life are tied together. Believe it or not, your theology affects your life. Theology is not something that you can set aside and say, I'll live my life, and theology deals with church. That's not true. Theology, your understanding of God and who he is and what he has accomplished and what he wants to do, should affect every day of your life. Your life ought to uphold that theology. But first century Christians were being challenged about drifting away. If you love the languages, write it down. Parareo is the Greek word that is used here for drifting away. It is actually translated to slip away or to slip through in reference to fingers. If you were to use the analogy of you grabbed up sand from the beach, not as any of you have ever gone to the beach before, right? And you grab that sand and you hold it tight, there's still going to be some that what? Slips through. That's called drifting away. It's the same analogy that we use that's translated to be not anchored in its negative term. So you're either drifting, you're slipping, you're moving from a fixed point, or you're not anchored. That's the word that is used here in Hebrews in reference to your spiritual life. That's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. In other words, he's saying this. When it comes to your spiritual life, doing nothing is very serious. Doing nothing can be very dangerous. For so many of us, as it was with the New Testament Christians, there were those who were coming to know about Jesus Christ and then did nothing and began to drift and drift and drift. The analogy that we get 
from so many writers is that of boating. You understand there's Maryland, what, right? More shoreline than any other state. Is that not true? Yeah, so forget beaches and think of docks, slips, boat slips, things like that. How many of you who have a nice boat would pull up at one of the restaurants in Eagle Alley, I think they call it, or take your boat to a friend's house or to a restaurant, pull up beside a dock, get out of the boat, and leave it loose? How many would do that? Not one? There's no adventurous soul here? Isn't it amazing that we will drive our spiritual life up to the dock of Christ Learn all about what Christ has for us. Know what is necessary for us to have salvation. We'll even jump out of the boat to be on the dock next to Christ, if you wish, and then do nothing with the rest. And your spiritual life begins to what? Drift. Now catch this. You can't lose your salvation. We're not talking about losing salvation. We're talking about those people who have heard the gospel message, know what's expected of them, know what needs to be changed in their life, know what conditions need to be met, and then never anchor into Jesus Christ. They took him for a ride, they jump off, and they let it drift. Think about this. He's writing to the Christians challenging them in their spiritual lives. What's going to happen to you when you're not anchored in Jesus Christ? What's going to happen to you when the hard times hit, when society begins to pressure you, when illnesses come your way, when sicknesses take over, when tragedies occur in your life from our perspectives? What are you going to do when the storms of life begin raging and you're not anchored anywhere? The writer is saying what happens is you can know all about Jesus Christ. You can know all about your church. You can know all about the Sunday school classes and the Bible study events. You can know all about how the Christian life works. And when you do nothing about it, you begin to drift and get farther and farther away. I don't know how many times as I share with people, someone say, well, you know, I grew up in this church, or I grew up in this church. Well, we've been out of church for several years. I've never heard one person say this to me, honestly. Well, I shouldn't say that in talking in church people. Very seldom do you ever hear anyone say this. Well, I used to love Jesus wholeheartedly. I had a great good 10, 12 years with him, and then we just got away from each other. Maybe someday we'll get back together and enjoy each other. You see... The people who are anchored in Christ are there. It's the people who've been drifting. It's the people who have come close to Christ, who've heard the message of Christ, who know all about how the church works, knows how to serve the church, knows how to say the right things and do the right things, but does nothing about becoming a child of God. All of a sudden, the writer says this, we must pay closer attention because as our lives begin to drift there's this warning addressing all these people who are never truly secure in their relationship. Have you ever been in a relationship that's not secure? Have you ever been in a relationship that's been controlled by someone else? That's because they're not secure. And when someone's not secure, they begin to question everything you do. They begin to question every person you're with. They begin to question all your motives that go along with things. They want to guard over you, watch over you. They want to be everywhere you are, do everything you do. 
It's amazing what happens when someone controls another person's life. And it may just be because the relationship doesn't seem to be anchored. And you're drifting. So let me put it this way. If we put it into application, for those of you who've been married at least 15 years, I'll let you raise your hand. If you were married for 15 years, how many of you were married for 15 years and did absolutely nothing with that marriage? Because we all know that if you're in a marriage and you do nothing, you drift. You drift. If you're not anchored in what Jesus Christ has for you, if you're not anchored in what it means to be one, if you're not anchored in what it is that he has for you, it's only a matter of time until you'll drift. And then all of a sudden we find out what the writer is saying to us spiritually. I don't know where you are with Christ this morning. I'm not challenging your salvation. What I am challenging is so many of us drift in our spiritual lives. Maybe not to the point of being lost. We, don't, we can't say that we're not anchored in Christ at one moment and then not. But what we're saying is so many of us are anchored in the church. So many of us are anchored in the people of the church. So many of us are anchored in the teaching of the church. And I will tell you this. It's not the church in the sense of the building that's going to heaven. It's those of us who are anchored into Christ that have no fear of drifting. And maybe this morning you need to look at your spouse, your children, even your parents. And maybe you need to ask yourself, am I even anchored in Christ? For that's what he's beginning to write us. It's the message of salvation. He opens his arm. This is why it's such a great salvation. He addresses all these people to be truly secure in him. And why is it so great? Think of the times of Jesus Christ and the message that comes through him. Think about the consequences of neglecting the one who opens his arms to whomever comes to him. We've said this before. You won't find a place in scripture in which Jesus turns people away. Oh, he challenges others, and others have walked away, others have left, others made choices not, but it's not Jesus. Because when Jesus' Holy Spirit draws us to him, he'll never say no. How could you neglect that when he guarantees the rest of our, our rest for our guilty conscience? It's our sins that have weighed us down. It's our sins that we've carried. It's our sins that make us feel uh, like we're hiding from everybody to know the truth. We live our lives in, in fear that someone's going to find out who we really are. Any of you ever met an old acquaintance? Recognize somebody from the past? You stare them down, they're looking at you funny, and you both finally make eye contact, and you're like, well, you know, and finally you can't stand it. You go up to them, and it's kind of like a, a, a pickup line, isn't it? Have we not met somewhere else before? Can you not feel that something's between us? Oh, yeah. Where'd you go to school? Oh, yeah. Where'd you grow up? I think I shared with you the story not long ago when a gentleman was telling me about Kansas. And I said, oh, that's good. What about Kansas? And he said, oh, it's a little place you won't know. And I said, well, where are you talking about? And he said, right in the middle of Kansas. This is about an hour west of Wichita. It's just a little bitty. I said, well, what town are you talking about? And he goes, well, you won't know. It's outside Pratt. It's a little town called Green Rush. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's just south of where my mom is in St. John's. He's like, what? How did you know that? 
When you come in contact with someone from places you don't recognize for years, and then you come back together, what a blessing. But when you recognize all of a sudden that, wait a minute, if they remember me from the past, they might also remember my what? Yeah, my sins. And they might remember me from who I was before. And what if it comes out of what I was really like? And what if they start telling people what I've really done? Do you see, that's the weight that we carry around with us. And such a great salvation is that we have someone who delivers us from that. Someone who takes our guilty conscience and cleanses it. Someone who forgives us of our worst of sins. Isn't it amazing that the own Apostle Paul starts out by being a sinner, by being a bad person, by being a chief of sinners and the worst of all? Isn't it amazing that the closer Paul grows to Christ in his writings and shares with us the worst he gets as a sinner? Think about that. The closer we get to Christ, the more we recognize our sinfulness. And maybe you're here this morning and realize, I want to be anchored. I'm tired of drifting. I'm tired of searching. I'm tired of looking for what it is. I just don't even know what I'm searching for. I'm, I'm, I've always put my trust in my job. I've put my trust in my careers, my money. I've put my trust in my homes. I've got great friends that I hang out with. But it constantly shifts. And this morning you realize you're drifting. You're drifting. Forget all those other things in your life. What matters most is where are you with Christ? He guarantees rest for us. Changes the hardest of our hearts so that we can be at peace with God. Write it down. There's consequences to neglecting a great salvation. How will any of us who despise such a great salvation escape the consequences that go with it? Well, he goes on to tell us in verse 2. When he says, for since the message declared by the law or the angels, that's what that is, the law, proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Write this down. Not only is such a great salvation have consequences, it also needs clarity. <clears throat> Excuse me. It needs clarity. For us to be clear about what it is that the gospel is asking of us, you need to be clear about what it is that's been revealed to you. Do you realize when the gospel message is shared with you? It's not a choice. Do you know when the message of God comes to you, it's not just information. It's an obligation. The gospel is not just information. It's a moral divine mandate to respond. Because the moment you hear the gospel, the accountability of that presentation of the gospel, if used by the Holy Spirit, puts you in a place you've never been before. You must make a choice. It's not just information for you to take and incorporate into your life. It demands a response, an obligation. Let's be clear. Listen to what he said. Moses on Mount Sinai even said this, when the law was given to it through angels. It's actually the passive tense, folks. If you would have a New English Bible, it probably translates it best. It says it this way, for since the message declared by God, because it's actually whose message? It's God's message. The word angel, angelios, is actually the word messenger in Greek for angel. Angels were called angels because they were what? Messengers. This is not a message from the angels. This is a message from who? 
is from God through the angels to Moses. He gives us the law. It's not only there, but if you remember when Moses received it, he saw thousands up there in the heavenly sanctuary when he went up on the mountain. Man, go back and think about what Revelation says about the many saints that will be in heaven, about the saints that will go on before us, about those who will come with Christ, about those who have gone ahead to prepare. Isn't it amazing that even when Moses is on the mount, go read it to get a glimpse of the heavenly, to know that it's real, and then to have the angels give you a law. Stephen referred to it this way when he saw it in Acts chapter 7, the angels revealing the truth. Paul even says it in Galatians 3. But folks, regardless of the messenger, the message comes from who? From God. It's no different today. We live in a world today where people are challenging the scriptures. You can have your God, you can have your Jesus, you can have your Holy Spirit, you can have your church, you can do how you want with it, but just don't give me that Bible stuff. Don't preach that Bible stuff on me. Because people know that if they can get rid of the Bible, they've just gotten rid of what? Everything we stand on. The problem is it's not the people outside the church we should worry about. Most of the discussion about the Bible and its validity and where it's true and what we should believe and how we should apply it comes from the people where? Inside the church. But I don't think it really means that, Pastor. I mean, I could see where it doesn't really mesh with the rest of our world, and I just don't really see how that fits in or the need. We live in a different time frame. I'm not really sure that's what God intended. Folks, do you believe the Bible is the message of God given by inspired men to bring us the truth of his revelation so that we can accomplish his will and make the decision that was given to us obligating us to make a choice? Do you believe that? Or, well, you know, it's good information to learn about and how it helps us change our lives a little bit. Folks, let's be clear. The law was mediated by word of mouth. The gospel was mediated by the word made flesh. And if the people who were mediated by the law of mouth were held accountable, how much more those by the word made flesh? Shun the law, not good. Shun Jesus Christ, it couldn't get any worse. We're obligated to make a choice. Don't let society make it for you. Don't let all the conditions around you make your choices for you. Don't let what others are doing that you seem to like make the choices for you. Don't get caught up in whether the elders can be elders of certain criteria or whether they can be male or female, or whether you can smoke or not, or whether you can chew or not, or dance or not. Let's not talk about the colors of the carpet or the nice, clear pews that some churches have and some don't. Let's not even talk about whether it's the King James, the ESV, the NASV, the NEB, or however many go down the line. Let's talk about Jesus Christ and the scriptures. Let's talk about the truth. Is your life a mirror of God's revelation. That's what he's telling us. Let's be clear. There's nothing trivial about the law. It makes it clear what we're expected. There's nothing trivial about the gospel. We don't have to be divided over all kinds of things. Transgressions and disobedience. Think about this, folks. It's a reference to Leviticus. Back to where when the man was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Do you remember what happened? He was killed. Oh, come on, pastor. You mean God would kill someone for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day? 
Do you remember when he touched the ark crossing the river and he struck him dead? Oh, come on. You mean he was only trying to help? You see, the world wants to turn it into trivia. Why would such a great God be concerned about such little things? Well, I have your answer. Because such a great God has provided such a great salvation that it concerns every little detail of life. Just where have you turned your spiritual life into trivia? Oh, I got plenty of Bible study. I don't need to do that. I've been through so many books of the Bible. I, I got all that. I don't need to do that anymore. I've served so long. I've done my time. I've taught so many classes. My time is through. Let's just trivialize our spiritual life. And let's put it this way. You're drifting. You're drifting. Doing nothing for your spiritual life. You're drifting. And just how far are you willing to drift? Oh, I won't say that you're not anchored. But I would say this. Some of us must have a very long chain. Been drifting a long time. Yes, I'm anchored in Christ, Pastor. I haven't been very faithful. I haven't been very committed. I haven't been very involved. I haven't really wanted to do too many things. I'm struggling at home. Things aren't going very well. We're struggling with our kids. Decisions are tough. I don't really have time for all the stuff that's necessary to maintain my spiritual walk with Christ. I've just been drifting. Well, he writes us and he says, God always acts justly. How will we escape such retribution if you're not anchored? Maybe you've been drifting for so long because you're really not anchored. And you're wondering, you yourself are even saying, I wonder how long this chain goes. I feel like I've been drifting for five years and I just don't ever seem to stop. I just keep going farther and farther. And I know I went to church and I know I said the sinner's prayer and I know I've tithed before and I know I used to help feed the hungry and I know I did Bible studies. I mean, I did all those things that I saw Christian people doing, but why am I still drifting so far? Why can I not find peace? Why is my conscience still at war? Why am I not reconciled with God? Why is there no desire to want to know more? I remember when Jerry, not myself, Jerry, I didn't say it to myself, but I remember when Jerry, one of my bosses at Glorietta, New Mexico, when I was serving, I told you the story, staying up all night reading. I remember one time when Jerry told me this. He said, Jerry, just pray the Lord would give you the desire to want to read more. That's how I got started. I developed a passion for the Word of God by simply praying over and over, day in and day out. Lord, would you please give me the desire to want to read your Bible more? That's the prayer so many of us need. Because I've met so many people. I, I'm just not a good reader, Pastor. I don't like to sit down and read. I don't seem to understand, but pray. Folks, it's the Word God's given us. 
Man, if you can't read it, get it on tape. If you can't get it on tape, get it on CD. If it's not CD, it's on a podcast. If it's not a podcast, I'm a preacher. I'll come to your house. We'll go over the words together. There's no way to escape the message that God has given us to hold us accountable. Think about what you have. Every sin that you commit says to God, I don't think it applies to me in this case. Every sin we commit says to God, I just don't think this applies to me in this case. How can we escape? Let's be clear. There will be punishment. There will be a decision made. And God acts justly. He can't do otherwise. And if he held those accountable to the law, imagine what he's going to do to those of us who have met him through the gospel. They didn't escape back when the angels spoke. We're not going to escape when Jesus speaks. Again, you must make a decision. There are several passages of scripture that I could give you on the mandate of what it is. And let's be clear. In order to give you the options, I'll let you follow along or you just write these down. Look at John 3.18, the gospel of John. You want to talk about the mandates. Phil read earlier the first part of it. But look at the gospel of John chapter 3, verse 18. He says this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. For those of you on Sunday morning in Ken's class, you've been studying through Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Just write this down as you go through Peter. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Second Thessalonians tells us the same thing. Folks, I could go on and on and on. I don't want to bore you with every one of them, but folks, it's not just information. It's an obligation to make a choice and to make a decision. You don't share the gospel with your children just to give them information. You share the gospel with your children and give them the obligation to make a choice. Put the road before them. Let them see the clarity of neglecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them see the consequences that go along with it. And finally, look at verse 3. Let's just look at this salvation and consider it. How shall we escape if we neglect? Consider this message that God spoke about himself in the flesh. Consider, take heed, pay attention. It's the word in Greek that means we have an understanding. We've looked at it and we believe in it. And folks, you can't believe in something you don't what? Understand. I'm not talking about a theological or systematic theological understanding. The simple understanding of who Jesus is. You know, when our children come before the session to explain a credible profession of faith, we want to hear their testimony. And that's scary, not just for children. How many of you have ever went before a session and shared your testimony? I've had a lot of people ask me the questions like this. Are they going to ask me questions? How many are there going to be? Do I know who these men are? Man, it's nervous when we talk about our faith. Why? 
I'll tell you the same thing I've told even Paula when they did the women's conference, when we've talked to conferences about evangelism. The problem is we're always worried we're going to say the wrong thing because we're still looking at salvation as something that we can get, grab, package, put away, and be done with. And as long as I got it right, we're okay. And that's not what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. You can't say it wrong. We gather together and we ask these questions. Consider taking heed about believing. We ask the children to share their testimony. And then two big questions. Do you understand what the bread represents when we take the Lord's Supper? Does anybody here know what the bread represents? Can you tell me what the drink represents when we take the Lord's Supper? Does anybody here understand what the drink represents? Well, if you've done it properly, you can say to yourself, well, I understand that God sent his son and he died on the cross for my sins and he gave his life in obedience and the drink represents the blood that was shed for me to cover my sins. I understand that and I believe that. And so you shall be saved. That's systematic theology of salvation. We didn't have to make it deep. We didn't have to make it hard. We didn't have to make it critical. Sometimes we want people to get saved, but we want to put a whole plan before them. We want to lay out all of their life. We want to say, that, look, in order to follow Jesus, you have to have all the answers first. Folks, isn't it amazing that the ones that Jesus chose to follow him were the ones that were more confused than the people that we're ministering to? We had 12, I was going to say, idiots at first. But I think they're called apostles. Folks, they questioned everything. Are you sure we should do this? Are you? We even had some, I know more than you do about this, Jesus. Let me take this one on. And folks, they on and on, even to the point when he rose from the grave and went to be back with the Father. They were like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Is this a good idea? Folks, that's the kind of theology that saved them. Because all they knew was this was the truth. And I want to be a part of it. And I want to share it. I've made my decision. Have you made yours? Have you made your decision to give up everything and count it lost to follow Jesus Christ? Or do you still want to follow Christ while you're anchored in your career? Oh, you can go with them for a ways, but what you're really saying is, I want to follow you, Jesus, as long as you stay close by, because I don't plan on leaving. I'm not selling my home. It's a family home. This is family land. This is where we grew up, and if you want me to follow you, Jesus, it's going to be a very small circle where we work together. I'm not giving up my family. We're close. We've always been close. You want me to leave my father and mother? Well, I can follow you for a little while, but I'm not going to follow you without them. I got too many kids. They're young, impressionable. If you want me to serve you, I'd like to do it right here where I understand how everything works. If you want me to go to another country or you want me to go to another state or you want me to go plant another church, well, you have to do it right where I'm at. Just where are you really anchored? Just who are you really following?
Consider this. He was the rescue for sinners. He was the ransom from heaven. He was the pardon for our sentence for death. And he didn't offer us a lesser penalty. He just took the penalty, considered it on someone else, pardoned in full, became our propitiation, and set us free. Now, how can you neglect such a great salvation? Unless you just see it as information. Does the Bible just help us make good decisions going through life? Or is the Bible the decision we need to make in order to experience life? Oh, how can we neglect? Pulled from the deepest depths in our life, placed on the highest of heights, and a time that we will return to glory with him. He's the one that confronted sin, temptation, Satan, even death, rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father. What other man could ever do this? Who else can provide this for you? And yet he asks the question after he states, there is no one like Jesus. And so how can you neglect such a great salvation? Yes, there are consequences to this salvation. Yes, we need to be clear on what he's asking us to do. And we need to consider that there is only one who could do what God says needs to be done. No one like Jesus. So let's give special attention. How shall we escape if we neglect this? If it was declared at first by the Lord and is attested to us by those who've heard. The truth is out. We've got to give attention to it. In the Greek, it's the opposite. To neglect is the same word that is used as the opposite of paying attention to. Don't think of neglecting as someone who denies Jesus Christ. Don't think of neglecting as someone who hates the church. Don't think of neglect as someone who is bitter at all that God has accomplished. Don't think of someone who's just down because Jesus allowed things to happen in their life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about neglect. Not paying attention to your spiritual life. I say this gently. And it's got to be hurtful. For many of us, we would say to ourselves, who in their right mind would have children and do nothing to help them the rest of their lives? That's the word for neglect. It's not that you didn't have children. It's not that you didn't want to have children. It's not that you're mad that you have children. It's just you don't want to do anything what? With those children. And isn't it amazing that we live in a world today where we can't find enough homes for the children whose parents said they don't want to do anything with the children. I wonder when God looks down from heaven. I wonder what all these children are going to do. How can we escape the last part, the compassion of this salvation. He came to seek and to save the lost. 
Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. Romans chapter 2, 5 through 8. You're storing up wrath for yourself for not believing. The message was clear. Such a great salvation. There's consequences. Let's be clear what they are. Let's consider Jesus Christ. And maybe for the first time, you need to say, I want that compassion in my life. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. And I want him to change my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for such a clear presentation of the gospel. Lord, you have made it clear. We know there are consequences, and we consider it. But now we need you to show us compassion. We need your Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, clear our minds, and help us to repent. Give us a desire to know your word, to read it, to know it, to share it, so that the truth can be put forth, not just as information, but that people will see it as an obligation. A choice must be made, and there are consequences for that choice. Lord, I pray that you will get the praise and the glory for all that is accomplished. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you the benediction before we go. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.